and then send it to the internet. Hello, Hello. and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for news, recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday. I am Jenny Carlson. And we are here coming to you, uh, having just freshly watched (laughs) season three. Yes, after a long wait, we have been able to binge season three of Cobra Kai. It was a light binge, I would say. We stopped to refresh ourselves and caffeinate. Um, But within 12 hours of it dropping on Netflix, we had gotten up and watched it. And we are very excited by what we saw. That's right. Now, here, uh, we should probably set some ground rules. Yeah, we're it's been a minute to... since we've done one of these. That's true. This is a reaction show. So, as Colin has said before, our stock and trade is recaps with an analysis with some uh, commentary and news. But because this is fresh and very exciting, we wanted to share our reflections much as we did after season two dropped. We wanted to prove that we'd watched the whole thing. That's basically. true. We wanted to let everyone know that we did our homework. That's right. And... Again, our show is normally recaps, but those recap episodes take quite a bit of pre-production lead. So uh, the soonest we can have one of those out is another week or so. So before we start getting those recaps out the door, we're going to kind of do a general overview of Season 3. This is just the pure Season 3 React episode. Oh, one Uh, thing, though, about those upcoming episodes that are recaps, we plan to get those out at a much faster rate. So yeah, so what the plan for the coming year is, now that all season three episodes have dropped, we will get them out on a regular cadence, uh, probably a little bit quicker than we have in the past, even when we were doing the season two, you know, week to week episodes. So the plan right now is to have one out every week, and then we'll figure out what to do once those 10 weeks are up. While we wait for the next season to come. That's right. So now, as we shift into reactions, we want to let y'all know that the first few minutes will just be general reactions without spoilers or without intricate spoilers. Um, And and then we'll warn you when spoilers are incoming. We will give you a definite spoiler warning as spoilers arrive. So, Colin, given in in your spoiler-free reactions, what do you have to share about this new season? Where does it bring us? What does it change? What What are we here for? And how does it heighten or not? It does. So, does what it says on the tin, Cobra Kai. Now, without saying anything specific yet, I will say that yes, it it builds on all the bricks that have been laid down in both series one and two. I think we check in with pretty much every major and minor character that we've had so far in the show. Uh, We, with one exception. Well, I mean, even though even the one or two characters we don't see again, we get some sort of uh, lip service to what happens to them. That's right. The creators like really did not leave any stone unturned. If they left any threads dangling, I'm pretty sure they were intentional for future series and seasons. Chekhov's um, tapestry. Exactly. But yeah, like we check in with pretty much every major and minor character, every fan favorite. Uh, we get some, like, we get some we check in on major karate kid characters we check in on minor karate kid characters we check in uh we go uh, literally around the karate kid world uh we were just (laughs) 
reviewing the season two recap and you can say the a lot of the same things like it builds out the world even more it heightens the emotional stakes even more uh the it does spend a lot of time rebuilding things after everything kind of gets blown up at the end of season two yeah I, I, I remember when we reacted to season two i said i cannot imagine them heightening more from where they have already brought this and they have done it again mm-hmm. interestingly in other directions but the stakes are, are ever greater that's right and the world much more complex now it really plays to the show's strengths because it does not shy away from complexity it doesn't shy away from challenging ideas about toxicity or bullying or you know ethics uh and also it's super fun and super funny when it wants to be and yeah that's, that's another amazing thing where they can go from something super serious to super fun often in the same scene. One of my concerns in coming into this was like, it was so heavy when, when season two ended and it did not end on any, on a note of any fun at all. You know, at the end of season two, when we left, Miguel was in a coma. Everybody was probably going to get thrown out of school because they had had a massive karate riot in the school. Johnny had been forced out of Cobra Kai by John Kreese. Daniel had lost faith in his ability as a sensei because Robbie was on the run, having beaten up Miguel in said karate riot. Everything was a nightmare. And now, in this season, we see a real aftermath of what happened. That's the the title of episode one of this season. We see the aftermath. We see the consequences. There are consequences. There's still some weird, as I like to say, California things going on in this world that are a little tweaked from reality. But it is a reality with consequences. And we see real human reactions. We see people in their own ways processing what has occurred. Some ways are healthy, some aren't, right? Mm-hmm. And we see a theme emerging, which is forgiveness. Like I've talked in prior seasons about how vulnerability was the theme, how checking your own righteousness was the theme in season two. In this season, I think the theme really is forgiveness at all kinds of levels, like forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness of a person who antagonizes you in reality or in your imagination. And I think this season really shows us that it's only through forgiveness that you can defeat a more dangerous opponent or a truly harmful antagonist. You have to have compassion and understanding. And you see that in such a funny way. Like you said, it's hilarious. They do all this stuff. There's even more action this season than in the prior seasons. There are many reversals, movement of different characters between Shifting sides. Shifting allegiances Shift- and alliances. Yes, it's strange bedfellows. But yet it all is somehow very believable. No balls fall out of the air. Everything is kept up moving it can twist from an instant from being something that's just wrenching your heart out to being hilarious because that's the human experience but the fact that they can condense that into episodes that despite having a slightly longer length in some cases they're still under an hour the fact that they can condense so much into these episodes is just bananas it is mind-boggling for sure do you want to get into specifics now sure we can once again uh this is a warning to any new listeners or people who have not completed season three. The remainder of this episode contains spoilers <laughs> for season three of Cobra Kai. That's why you're here, right? If you're the kind of person like me who likes to watch along with the show as the recap podcast is 
doing the episodes, then you are clear to skip right ahead to our aftermath recap, which should be the next episode of our show. Of our show, mm-hmm. and you can always come back to this one later. I won't be mad. Specific things about season three. What did you like? What did you dislike? Do you want to trade off things that we liked? Or I would like to say the things that are most pressing to me. Go ahead. And then I know that you have like five things that you really liked. If we I jotted down a couple things, yeah. So I can say the things that feel most pressing to me. You can talk about those things. And then I have a response to a review that I read that I would like to whip out at the end. Sounds great. Yeah. I will say I did miss Aisha. It makes sense that she was not on the show this season in in terms of the story they explained that her parents pulled her out of public school after the debacle at the end of season two. But it is a bummer not to have her around. I think, you know, not to have her visiting Miguel, not to have her interacting with Sam. I know that her absence raises the stakes for both of them and brings them together in a way that they might not have been because she was a buffer. But I'm still... Um, I just miss that character and think that for a whole set of fans, she means a lot and it would be great to see her come back. At the beginning of our last reaction show like this, I was like, oh my God, what will happen to Miguel? And now it is, oh my God, what will happen to Robbie, right? Because now Robbie, having been in a situation where he felt abandoned or hung out to dry by everyone, Daniel found him and he trusted Daniel, but Daniel called the cops without warning him. You know, Johnny came to, was going to come to see him and he looked really vulnerable in that knowledge and then Johnny was late. And then when Johnny tried to show up to talk to him, it it all failed over these early episodes. And so, you know, Robbie kind of surrendered to being hardened in this JD system with Kreese visiting him and telling him and whispering in his ear these sweet nothings of the way of the fist, right? It's what he does best. So it was a recipe for disaster as soon as Robbie was out again and looking around. And, you know, Sam and Miguel were back together and he saw this. Of course he would go to Crease because Crease does lie, but he's consistent. But a child who comes from an unstable situation craves consistency. And that is what Crease is. Because he is always right, he never has to worry about being inconsistent. Yes, we frame it as Crease is a liar. And yes, he does lie a lot. I would say that... It's a difference between being a compulsive liar and a sociopath who's just like, he lies when it suits his needs and he's not afraid to kind of weave truth into his lies, which makes them really the most dangerous kind of all because they're more relatable and more, those lies tend to hit harder than just, you know, utilitarian lies meant to serve a means to an end. My first thing is, oh my God, what will happen to Robbie? Because everyone cares about Robbie differently than the way they cared about Miguel, but they definitely all care about him. Daniel looked brokenhearted when Robbie went to Crease, and Johnny looked sickened at the beginning of their final confrontation in the final episode of the new season when when Robbie says to Johnny, I blamed myself my whole life for what you did to me. We saw in Johnny's eyes the hurt. That was such a real situation. That is, for me, the scariest and apropos cliffhanger. You know, other things that I thought were really important and nice were just the way in which Daniel let himself be schooled by that visit back to Okinawa Mm -hmm. and the way in which the show knew that the history was enough to carry the characters through these scenes that helped Daniel get closure and train. Mm -hmm. And they did the only thing they had to do was give us a little bit of a twist with Shozen, which was to see Kumiko and Shozen again was just so delightful. And the show 
only had to tweak us a little bit by having Chosen be a little bit of a trickster now. Yes. That was all we needed. We could just roll with the scenes. That brings me to the first point that I really liked is that our trip to Okinawa did not disappoint. Also, it was really smart how they got in there because I was really wondering, like, what excuse are they going to use to get Daniel to Okinawa? Because it's like, we know what the end game is. Mm -hmm. It's like, we need to get him there so that he can reconnect with Miyagi-Do and our fan fave characters from Karate Kid 2, right? But doing that and finding a way to service it within the plot of the show is a different matter altogether. So the means they used to do that of tying it into what was happening with the dealership, I felt was really clever and it all made sense. Like, I think that's what really dazzled me about this season in particular is just like the internal logic of a lot of what was going on felt very consistent and very earned in a way that sometimes it didn't quite in season two. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there were some turns in season two that felt like it was the tail wagging the dog. But this season, I didn't get that nearly as much. I mean, we might have gotten it once or twice, but even when the once or twice it happened, I didn't really mind it because it still felt earned. I think sometimes for me, that feeling comes from just the scenes being so short that I'm just going on faith. I guess because they had the weight of that history, both from the Karate Kid Part 2 and Daniel's antagonistic relationship with Tom Cole, then it was just obvious that Tom Cole would would, would slime his way in mm-hmm. to interfere with Daniel's Japanese contracts. Right. And, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Right. I mean, it makes perfect sense in retrospect. No doubt about that. It's just in my mind, I was viewing it purely in the world of karate and the dealership is super important in fact they gave daniel a monologue about why the dealership was important just to kind of cement that idea in our heads that daniel's world is broader than just karate yet it all kind of revolves around the nucleus of mr miyagi right it's like mr miyagi gave him that car therefore Daniel likes cars, therefore Daniel is a dealership. In fact, I think he has a, a line about how Mr. Miyagi pushed him into his career path Yep. because Mr. Miyagi somehow knew Daniel better than he knew himself, which yeah. I thought was interesting. But again, it all works because it all kind of flows from the same place and it all interconnects in from a really same, satisfying way. The same turgid waters of the devil's cauldron. Indeed. Yes. And we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can get into the specifics of these episodes as we do our recaps. But again, I feel like those specifics really speak to the strengths of season three, particularly. Obviously, Johnny needed to forgive Daniel this whole time, like really needed to forgive him. Mm-hmm. And Daniel needed to forgive a lot of people. Daniel's time in Okinawa sets up the main lesson for both Johnny and Daniel, which is that Daniel needs to move on from wanting Mr. Miyagi to guide him and learn how to make decisions in partnership with an equal, someone from his rank. He needs to collaborate. And he can collaborate with Amanda because she knows him, she loves him. and But like in terms of an antagonist, he needs to learn how to collaborate. And for Chosen to give him that gift, you know, it's actually, it's a gift from Kumiko, right? Because she lets him have the letter from Mr. Miyagi that gives him closure from the need to impress his father figure or channel him. And then lets him see how to earn another kind of constructive relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that was the other reason why that trip to Okinawa was so satisfying. And I knew that either, the, I thought that Chosen was going to be like, 
the CEO of Sato Enterprises and that he was going to bail Daniel out of his yeah. issue. Both of us freaked out when we discovered it was the girl ringing the bell that Daniel risk rescued from the typhoon in the Karate Kid Part 2. Like, we lost it because that was so earned and so easy. And I just totally believe right. it. It would have been too easy if it had been chosen or Kumiko that solved the problem directly. Yeah. Like, they needed to abstract it a little bit out and, and to... And of all the, you know, tertiary characters to play that card, it felt really fun and really interesting. Like it was a it was a deep cut, but it was a it was an amazing deep cut. It's it's like your favorite B side off an album. It's like, yeah, we were we were really happy with that decision. Uh, another reason why I really liked it is because it wasn't a Deus Ex Machina, not only because it was earned from the past, but also because it was preceded by Daniel really admitting that he was in trouble and that he needed help and that he was struggling, which is something this character has been able to do in the past. Right. But in recent seasons, I guess, because he felt like he had too much to lose, he had trouble admitting vulnerability. And, and he's sort of returning to himself. In fact, I noticed in Ralph Macchio's face, he just looked like Daniel again in a way that Daniel hasn't looked because mm-hmm. Daniel's been like this grown-up adult. I wanted to say this at the top, actually, in the spoiler-free time, I forgot. This is a season for Ralph Macchio. Billy Zabka is just... You know, kills it as usual, but Ralph Macho really gets to show the range of Daniel's emotional journey in this season in a way that is fantastic. And and that build up to Okinawa just is a beautiful thing for that. Speaking of a season for Ralph Macchio, I think that does highlight something that I thought several times during the season, which was I think everybody was crushing it this year. Yeah. Like everyone on the main cast had like an amazing turn or an amazing scene. Yep. Something that they can really, you know, point to and really say that they put their stamp on this show. And again, when we go episode by episode, we can call them out specifically. But the one I want to call out just for the overall season is Hawk. Yep. Hawk and his arc for this season is amazing. Yeah, one thing I really liked about Hawk's arc this season is that you knew you were pulling for Hawk to to kick ass because he's interesting when he kicks ass, but he mm-hmm. couldn't continue to kick ass as a Cobra Kai as it got more and more toxic. You couldn't enjoy that past a certain point, right. but they never made his path toward kindness an easy one. He kept kind of vacillating until he finally committed. I think it, that was part of it, but I think it was just like the conflictedness. There was a certain point where you're like, Hawk hates this, but he's never going to find a reason to abandon Cobra Kai until he reaches this moment in one of the final fights where he kind of looks around and you could see it on his face where he's like, I'm fighting people that I used to like alongside people that I hate that hate me back. Yeah. And all of it just kind of like, flashes on jacob bertrand's face he's so good and you can read exactly what he's feeling and then when he turns it feels perfect and it's one of the more perfect moments of season three for sure another thing that 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 springs to mind you were talking about how everyone gets a moment and the hawk moments and the hawk and dimitri moments and them rekindling their bromance is is so very sure. heartening. But the way everyone gets a moment, it reminds They're me They're going to be able to watch Doctor Who together now, and I am so happy for them. I know. I know. <laughs> They're going to work out their feelings by appreciating Jodie as the Doctor. For sure. So anyway, Jodie Whittaker, that is. But I was thinking when I was watching it and everyone got their grace notes, I mean, they gave Nate the F-bomb this year. Early on, you know, we were saying on Twitter, who's going to get the F-bomb? Who will get to say it? It was Nate. Yep. 
But it reminded me a lot of in Star Trek film history when Leonard Nimoy took over directing because mm-hmm. he you know he was like I'll come back as Spock but you have to let me direct the story went he was very successful at it and then Shatner took over and directed one and to varied success but anyway both Nimoy and Shatner but especially Nimoy was very keen on everyone getting a scene and those scenes those character driven scenes were the plot of the show and I can't think of another show that does it like that except Cobra Kai as far as the season is concerned another person who just turned in a great arc over the season and also individual performances is Mary Mauser. Wow. Like, Mary Mauser as Sam is just an incredible her, thing to watch this season. Yeah. Her arc of the season is also great because we're used to seeing this world being processed through the lens of Daniel or Johnny. Mm-hmm. And they're both very avoidant. They're both very avoidant, but they're also macho. And to Mm -hmm. see this world and this conflict processed through Sam's eye and through her emotions and her PTSD from season two, that's an amazing way to turn in this show. Again, in a show that's just essentially just like a nostalgia-fueled retro reboot to go to these places with these kinds of character arcs and character stories is amazing and unexpected and because of that i find it very compelling yeah well it's very grounded and very human right and so when sam has her panic attacks and she can't act there are real consequences that she then feels guilt for even though she should never be in a situation where she has to try and preempt violence by taking on the cobra kais or then defend dimitri who is getting his arm broken by hawk when she shut down. Right. It's not just that she has panic or PTSD or that she's scared of karate. It's that the reactions that she has have consequences that then further complicate her situation. And also her journey parallels Ralph Macchio's journey, which is great because they're father and daughter in the, in the show, being able to talk about the pain and struggle that they've had and their fear. Yeah. Which is so beautiful. The moment with them in the boat, there are so many moments with Daniel and Sam this season that I have been waiting for the entire show to see Daniel really connect in that parent-child relationship like Mr. Miyagi did with him beyond. I mean, he truly cares for Robbie. But with Sam, you know, he's got that history and that Mr. Miyagi had trained Sam too. And to see all that come together in this season was just such a payoff. And it wouldn't have happened and been so satisfying. And, and it's not just about satisfaction. It's about like reaching you as a human being. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have reached me as a human being if they hadn't connected around that experience of fear and trauma in such a constructive way. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to call that out because for this franchise that usually looks at things through the lens of you've got to be tough or you've got to be cool, you've got to be badass to kind of take a You try a to different... be cool because you think you're a man and a man's got to learn to take it. Right, exactly. Like that is the been the thesis of the show. But what we are seeing now through Sam's lens is like there are other ways to experience things. There are other ways to process things. That's right. There are other ways to stand up in a very... To be the best around. To be the best around. And I think that's a really cool thing that they've done this year that they needed to do and they delivered agreed so speaking of characters and how they process their reality we get a ton with crease my god this year and the short answer is we get a lot of 
Kreese's backstory and explaining what his deal is, mm-hmm. finally. It's always been hinted at what his deal is, but this year it's kind of spelled out in a series of elaborate flashbacks yep. what Kreese's origin story is and how it got him to where he is today. It is a lot like you would expect, and and I will say this again when we do the recap, but they do a delicious fake out where it looks like we see that John Kreese was a school bully in high school or college. They do it a couple times in Kreese's <laughs> flashback. We get a we get a we get a fake out where we think that maybe at one point Kreese owned the banana boat. <laughs> yeah, but, but but the guy who was driving and the guy who was the bully that is talking to the more not really more pip squeaky, but the waiter kid is the Kreese character. But you don't realize that because the the screen is at first dominated by this bully character who's played by Jesse Cove, Martin Cove's son. Right. So I was like. Like, oh my god, Jessica was playing flashback Crease, and I like while the show is on had IMDb up and then the camera pivots to show no no, Crease is the mild mannered guy. You know, and I was like, Oh, is this is this show trying to make me have excessive sympathy for a villain? Because you want to understand the villainy, but you don't want to to like identify overly with that experience so much that you forget what they've done. Yeah. And I think they walked up to the line and didn't cross it. I think they did a good job. I agree. We want to see Darth Vader fall in the lava pit because we know that's how he got messed up. But we don't want to feel bad for him when he does. And Are you I think... saying that you don't want to see him frolicking in the in the Alpine foothills? Like in Attack of the Clones? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so in much the same way, season three gives us kind of what I was talking about during our Karate Kid 3 episode, which is... Let's see some Vietnam, let's see the Vietnam movie that Kreese and his bud Terry Silver were living. We get just a taste of it. We don't get like the full Vietnam movie experience. It kind of makes me sad that Netflix didn't get to Cobra Kai sooner because then I feel like we could have had a full season three plus a special like 90 minute Kreese and Silver in Vietnam movie. Like, to be water creative has already created art for an imaginary crease prequel. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. I love their stuff. Yeah. Um, so we get a taste of that. In fact, I'm probably sure by now there's already a super cut up on YouTube of just the crease Vietnam segment. Yes. Like as a as its own standalone movie. And maybe if you cut them together, it does make a, a movie that makes sense. That would be rad. With crease in Vietnam, it is difficult because in the, the subtext in the original Karate Kid was just so clear, right? From the perspective of how we understood warfare and being a veteran in the United mm-hmm. States. Mr. Miyagi was from the 442nd. We learned his family died in an internment camp while he was fighting for the United States. You know, a U.S. internment camp, right? On the other hand, we have Kreese, who has a loss, loses his girlfriend back home, we are given to understand, mm-hmm. um, you know, and is sucked into these covert ops where we won't ever know about them until they're declassified many decades later, says his captain who recruits him. And trains him in, 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 in harsh hand-to-hand his combat. His sensei, as it were. His captain sensei. Who looks a lot like Patton. Let's admit it. The big three cast this dude because he looks like George C. Scott as Patton. I mean, you could do a lot worse. I mean, it's I, true. I, I, it's I, I a think shame that Ernest thing. Borgman was unavailable. <laughs> in a way. Ah. Uh, so going back to our thesis, does it make Crease more relatable? Yes. Does it make me sympathetic towards him? No. 
Like, I mean, it is tough to do the prequel thing and make all the subtext text Mm -hmm. and still have it be compelling and interesting. Yep. And I think they delivered on that because they did. They they took some turns that you weren't expecting. Uh, They introduced us to Terry Silver. Yes, we get. Yes. And the origin of Terry Silver's ponytail. That's right. Yeah, we get a little bit of a fake out with that, too, because, like, I think they set up one of the other characters for us to make him think that that person turns out to be Terry Silver when it's actually another character. And but I no, that he dies. Smart. So Terry's Terry's yeah. ponytail. So many Easter eggs. So many Easter eggs. So many satisfying little turns like that. But so, you know, to get to this point about, about the Vietnam story, you said this and it was very smart because I, again, I'm very sensitive about Crease. I like Martin Cove. I think, I think Marty Cove does a great job of playing him and, and he's a villain that I love to hate aside from his uncanny resemblance to my late grandfather, which is weird. Um, but the thing about it is I was like, do we really need this many flashbacks? And Colin was like, you were like, well, we do because Crease lies so much. He lies so much that we need to know the truth in his lies as they heighten all the stakes where this is coming from and where it could go. Yeah, right? exactly. And then the way they build it is very smart because everything that's happening increases flashbacks does tie into something that's happening in the episode. Yeah. But yeah, so so that I think that's all I want to say about that until we actually get to the crease episodes. But again, just the way they did it was super smart and super cool. Um, but one thing I wanted to say, because this is a good moment, I have not read that many reviews because I have been avoiding spoilers like the plague. I have been much more active on Twitter lately as my work situation has changed um, at our account. Are you karate kidding me? Karate Kid Pod at Twitter. Anyway, I've been a lot more active and then hid from the internet because spoilers were everywhere. I read a Rolling Stone review that that was very underwhelmed by this season. And I'm really disappointed because Rolling Stone and I usually agree on Cobra Kai. But their issue, in so many words, they said this show taps some of the camp from Karate Kid Part 3. They don't understand why why crease is becoming a scenery chewing villain which actually i think he's much less scenery chewing than he and terry silver were in the karate kid part three yeah but i mean this uh, review i read was clearly appealing to the idea that we can't have camp in a certain way and that we should we should stick to the quote-unquote good parts of the og karate kid narratives and in, in the miyagi verse but what is so fantastic about this season is that it unafearedly looks at it's not scared to look at the moments that are not as cool in like the Karate Kid Part 3 that people don't remember as fondly. And to say, let's make that into a character motivation or a, a, a character point that drives a character's action. And so I want to say I'm actually really glad that the show is chewing the scenery because everyone is so grounded about it. That that's what we're here for is, is a karate telenovela, karate opera. Fair. And I, even though I haven't read that review, I think I can respond to that idea in a little bit more detail in that if you're looking at things like that where it's like you're dictating what other people should create or what other people should uh consider what is canon what isn't what you should leave out what you should put in you clearly have not been paying attention to narrative for the last 20 years or so because here's where we are in narrative in the year 2021 yep and that is you pick what you like. A lesson certain people have failed to learn. I mean, we go to Star Wars for our references over and over again, but I think that's probably the clearest indication, right? If you like the only the original three Star Wars movies, 
great, more power to you. If you only like the original 80s cuts of the first three Star Wars movies, like certain people in this house, yes, yes, you do that. I would say, you know, whether in Star Wars or another fandom, as they call them, the thing... If you only like the Robert Patrick episodes of X-Files, bless you, do it. I understand you, Colin. <laughs> no, but the point I'm trying to make is there is a valid place for criticism that is, I don't like this thing, and here's why. I think that you have to really understand what the creators are doing and try to get in the head of the production team and the universe. And f- if you do that, at least to the extent that we have, I think it's unavoidable that that you see that those things that came up that in the Karate Kid Part 3 with the toxicity of Cobra Kai... Um, with the bizarro, I mean, we've had four years of some crazy politics in the United States, and we know that crazy loyalties like Crease and Terry Silver can actually bring about right. life affecting and harmful things, right? We're sure. seeing that in this season. And I think that any review that talks about like excessive, I can't remember the words it used, but I feel like it was reacting to the excessive emotion and drama of it, but that's how people would feel after you had a, you know, karate footloose, as we've said and Daniel said in the show. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, I really just I, I I have I have a lot of empathy also for the idea of storytelling in a larger universe like this one, and also in Star Wars where anyone who makes a movie that's part of a longer franchise arc has to try and incorporate tones from a lot of different works in that world, have this capacious space to bring these things in, and people who react to that capacity don't understand that a filmmaker is making a, f- a film not just for them but for all the other fans. Well, and the other thing is that every time they do a little fake out, whether it's making us think that the bully is flashback crease when really it's the kid serving the bully or making us think that the doctor from out of state might be Allie, Terry Silver, which person in the Vietnam flashbacks is future Terry Silver. um, Those moments are like little winks between the writers and the audience because they know that the fans are on Twitter and other platforms going nuts. Those were all, yeah, little predictions. Yeah, it's not just that they're fake ass. They're, they're little messages to the fans like, we see you, we're reading your tweets, we're watching your content and listening to your podcast. And we know some of this stuff is bananas. But yes, this was one of the I mean, I still want my LaRusso Mance shout out. That's fair. I, yeah. I grant you that. Dimitri needs to say LaRusso Mance at I don't some know. point. Hearing Ralph Macchio say Karate Footloose, which is something we actually also said on the podcast. Right, but that's not a stretch. Like, that's it's an not. 80s movie. Of course. And of course, in a world that revolves around 80s stuff. That's fair. You're right. You're right. It would be nice to get an Easter egg, but... LaRusso might... Mance is so specific to us. That's true, but is it really... Okay, we can discuss later what the semantics... Us and our listeners. Anyone's free to use the term LaRusso Mance, yeah, obviously. but Mance... Okay, anyway. Back to the point I'm making. I feel like season three is the first fully like self-aware Cobra Kai show in the sense that it's a show that knows its relationship to its core audience or its long-running audience. Good, it should. Yeah, of course. But like seasons one and two were more like the general Karate Kid fan. And now it's a conversation between the writers and the people that they know are as invested as they are in the story and its possibilities, which is really fun. That is the great magic trick that you're looking to do. If, if I'm in the writer's shoes and it's my job to make the Karate Kid universe compelling and interesting again, it's like, 
you have to look at it in its totality. And I think that's a really cool thing to do. So again, like if you can find something redeemable about Karate Kid 3 to integrate into this narrative. And we know you can because you just spent many, many hours editing our episode. Yeah, definitely. Recapping Karate Kid 3. Yeah, we were kind of... Yeah, that was kind of serendipitous that we dropped that ep- that particular episode just before Cobra Kai Season 3, because I feel like they kind of interweave nicely. So, um, I just wanted to ask some, some rapid-fire James Lipton-style questions um, that I thought we could answer. Number one, what was your favorite fight sequence uh, in this season of Cobra Kai? There were good ones, but again, I think what they've been... Now, now we've... Now that we have three seasons, we have an established pattern that we're going to get a big fight in the ultimate episode of the season, and it's always going to be a banger. I'm still trying to decide if it feels as intense or as amazing as the school fight, but Mm -hmm. the LaRusso-Mance fight, as it will now be known. The December 19th massacre. The December 19th massacre. It's definitely my favorite because again it incorporates everything like they do a really good job of choreographing these massive fights and they did it in such an interesting and enclosed space but it all felt really organic and really cool when they put it all together and then of course there was the stuff with tori where it's like but which one is your favorite if you want to consider the tori samantha fight its own fight I think that might be actually my favorite fight from this season. So I I acknowledge, first of all, that that sequence was fantastic, in part because it showed that the scale, you can have a bigger fight on a smaller scale. It was somehow even more ca- catastrophic than the school riot, because even though it was a smaller scale and less people, because it was right. Daniel and Amanda's family home. All these people in this enclosed space, and Daniel and Amanda were going to come home, and it was very frightening. That was pretty epic. My favorite fights, I have two, they're tied... I expected it to be the fight in the chop shop early in the season. It was not in the end. My two favorite fights were Daniel V. Chosen. You could see Ralph Macchio and Yuji Okamoto just killing it. You know, just killing it. Um, And that was just neat to see Daniel be taught through fighting in that way that was much more uh, kinetic than when he would do training with Mr. Miyagi. Um, And the other thing that I I liked was Johnny fighting Kreese at the very end. And of course, Daniel running into... to save him with Robbie and Crease and Johnny. It was so sad. And, and Johnny had so much more anger in his fight against Crease this time than he did at the beginning of season two, the last time they fought. So those two fights were just for me, amazing. My next, oh, did you have anything to say? No. Next question. Favorite Easter egg. Not only do we get the Kamiko appearance played by Tamla and Tamita that we've been wanting, but she fills us in on everything she did since Karate Kid 2. And she which, saw the Cranberries, baby. Yeah, and she's an alt-rock fan. And so I am... So exactly. <laughs> it's like, I... Like, wh- like that's the Netflix spinoff movie we should get next, is the Kamiko story. We should follow her around the world as she solves crimes and with her dance troupe or something. Yeah. Like, that she's would like, be... Like, Julia Child was a spy. She's like a, a spy, except instead of with food she's a spy with dance exactly like you know she got up to some shit and it's and it's amazing and uh and so we get a little taste of of that 
I don't know how Easter eggy it is, but it's definitely a detail that they didn't necessarily need to give us. But now that we have it, I'm so glad that we do. My favorite Easter egg. Okay, I already said that I loved that Jesse Cove was cast as the bully. My favorite Easter egg overall is when they're at the country club. Mm-hmm. He's wearing white and almost gets hit with a thing of spaghetti, just like Daniel was hit with a thing they, of spaghetti at the same knew. country club. It was so great. Yeah. Like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. They're like, not today. Not today. There will be no class shaming at this country club today. That's right. That's right. Um, gosh, and you've already said your favorite character arc, which is Hawk. Love Hawk. Love what Jacob Bertrand did with him. It was so complicated, and there was a lot to sink your teeth into with it. I'm very eager to see what permutation they come up with for him for next season. I, I, I hope he does not lose the Mohawk, even though I'm sure it's uh, <laughs> quite... quite uh, a bit of hairstyling that has to be done every time Jacob Bertrand comes on set, but I'm interested to see what they do with this character now. I think I'm happy with all the main cast characters this year. They not only brought Yasmin back, they gave Yasmin great stuff to do. Yep. I found Dimitri so obnoxious in season one, and then we learned to like him in season two, and now, like, in season three, he's so great now. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him and Hawk, and both of them together next year, for sure. So for me, my favorite arc this season was Daniel. To see Daniel come alive and be all the different Daniels that we've known, and these different interactions with people, and kind of at the risk of sounding like a therapist, you know, find an integrated self mm-hmm. was really cool. Daniel's openness, you know, to truly practice the open hand and to try to communicate first, culminated in the scene that I have wanted since Cobra Kai began, which is Daniel and Miguel just having a conversation. Like, I've never wanted Daniel to take Johnny's place for Miguel or anything like that, but I always just wanted the two the two obvious karate kids to become friends and to understand each other. And so for that to happen, that was a direct result of Daniel and Miguel, right? Because, I mean, man, I should... There's so much happening in this season. I feel like we need to also just give it up to Sholo for nailing it so hard, striking the balance of being a kid, of acting the role of a kid who's sick, may never be paralyzed again, and then also going to concerts and having fun and, you know, in a way that feels completely believable in the world of Cobra Kai, but also moves at a clip that works for the pacing of the season. And the work that the karate kids do to own their vulnerability and forgive is just the best thing about this season. Absolutely. Well, with that, I think uh, I'm going to own my own vulnerability and say that uh, it's getting late and we should probably uh, get to bed because we're going to have to start writing on new episodes before (laughs) too long. And I want to do like three more rewatches in the next week. Yeah, for sure. So if not like 10. Exactly. So let's put a pin in this for now and we will come back with our next episode. I'm really happy that I'm able to say that again, where we will have a new episode for a new episode of Cobra Kai. Uh, So until then, feel free to follow us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter at Are You Karate Kidding Me? We're always posting clips, we're always posting articles, we're always posting uh, our conversations with our other uh, fellow podcasts, such as Cobra Kai Companion, Watch, Watch Party... The Karate Gals, everybody is out there uh, killing it right now. And you should join the party with us. And you should definitely join the party with us. Um, And so we will specifically be back with our next episode, which will be Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode Episode 1, Aftermath. 
Until then, I've been Colin Kennedy. I am Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.